Welcome to Travel Stories, Episode 6, Long-Term Travel with Brennan. This week is actually a really special week because even though we're six episodes in, this is our first time having a guest in a third-seater. So, Brennan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brennan. Welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. We're so happy to have you as well. And this is even more exciting because you're recording from, is it Montamanoa Island in Fiji? I believe that is how you say it. I've been uh, trying to figure out the pronunciation of all the words here in, in Fiji. Matamanoa Island is about an hour boat ride from the mainland, Viti Levu. And it's actually where they shoot. It's right in the island group where they shoot the TV show Survivor. So we can literally... At breakfast, we can see the island where they shoot Survivor. And the Castaway Island from the Tom Hanks movie is actually right around the corner, too. It's a, it's a very cool place. That's so cool. I wish I could remember what Tom's uh, friend was in Castaway. What, Wilson? Oh. Is it Wilson? Have you seen Wilson? Wilson? Yeah, you know, I the, the so. soccer ball. The soccer ball. <laughs> this sounds like you've had quite the adventure. If I understand it right... You've been traveling since July of 2022, full-time? That is correct, yeah. So I thought we'd chunk this into a few different segments. First, we'd talk the preparation and sort of what brought you to the long-term travel here. Then we'll talk some of the travel that you did. I think you've done some cruising, some flying, some hotels, Airbnb. And then we'll just kind of close out with kind of your experience with last-minute and far-ahead booking. And one thing that has been a trend for this show is, is kind of talking about the new reality of kind of this, this extended revenge travel and, you know, how it is finding award flights and award availability nowadays. So with that, I thought we'd start with what led you and your wife to, to want to do this kind of extended travel? Yeah. So the idea for the trip really, really started back in 2019. My wife and I got married in July of 2019 and took a Miles and Points funded round the world trip. We spent about three weeks and hit, I think, five or six different countries and just had a blast. We loved it. It wasn't nearly long enough. And we came back home and, and settled into, into work routines and started reading about you know people that I have looked up to in the Miles and Points space for, for years who have either taken a sabbatical or gap year or just simply like full-time travel. Um, and it was really inspired by a lot of people and, and realized that this might be, might be a thing that we could do. And we started saving money and stocking up all of our points balances over the next couple of years. And well, COVID Fortunately and unfortunately, it helped because we weren't uh, weren't traveling a whole lot. We were able to to save money a little faster and stock up all of our points balances. And then when things kind of looked clear from COVID, we decided that we would both quit our jobs in July of 2022. My wife is a teacher, so we our idea was to take a year off, coinciding with the school schedule. So starting in July and then her heading back to school in in August of 2023. 
yeah, that was the plan. Yeah. What you're doing here is um, definitely one of these things that seems to be more and more popular. You know, I've, I've heard gap year sabbatical, um, mid-career retirement, you know, a lot of different terms for the same idea. Yeah. And if I could add on to that, I thought the same thing as UTK. Like I've heard of lots of different people doing doing trips like this, but I didn't realize how uncommon it is to a lot of people. You know, when we when we told our parents, they all thought it was was pretty crazy. But they've since come around to the idea and they, they think it's really cool what we're doing. I think it's well, a lot more common in the miles and points community, you know? <laughs> right, right. I think the justification or the thought process that gets you to the point of like, oh, let's take a year off makes a lot more sense, uh, you know, when you equip yourself with, you know, all the currencies and get, you've collected all your miles. You, you kind of enabled yourself to do it a certain way. And I think that's probably why it, it seems so much more doable. And so much more feasible, you know, for those of us who are kind of have this hobby. And That's I'd imagine with the pandemic, that probably really helped you guys between, you know, not being able to travel and, you know, not going out for that period where, where there was a lockdown, where you just weren't spending as much money. Add in, you know, whether there was any of the stimulus that was valuable to you or applicable to you. And that might have... That's very true. I'd imagine that helped, right? That and the miles and points stimulus that has happened in the last few years, too just seems like the bonuses keep getting bigger and bigger and there's always opportunities to, to earn more miles. And that's a great segue. So can you share a little bit about kind of, you know, what currencies that you had accumulated and any unique strategies that you had imparted to be able to kind of build that war chest of points and miles? Yeah, we focus on the main ones, ultimate rewards with Chase and membership rewards with, with Amex. We would have focused on city thank you points, but unfortunately, both my wife and I were shut down by city a few years ago. So we weren't able to, to collect any thank you points, but thankfully there was there's plenty of overlap between ultimate rewards and membership rewards. In addition to that, we were able to stock up our American Airlines balances pretty well, just perfect timing with that, the Simply Miles deal. At the end, I believe that was the end of 2021 that that came around. And both of us were able to get quite a few American miles from that. And then as far as statuses that we kind of had going into this year, Hilton Diamond is from the Aspire cards. That's been been very helpful. Uh, Hi, Globalist. Uh, we actually, uh, we didn't plan on it, but both my wife and I hit Globalist in 2022. So it's not uh, not super valuable to have two Globalists in one one household, but uh, it is kind of fun. You can't beat that. And definitely, we talked on the last episode uh, just how much we really appreciate, or I really have found value in Hyatt Globalist, and I, I know TK is as well. So here you are, long-term travel, right? Are you team checked? Are you team carry-on? And, and how do you make it work for traveling that long across, I'd imagine, so many different seasons and climates? Yeah, for the most part, even though we travel with two carry-on sized bags, if anyone's interested, we use the Away Bigger Carry-On. Uh, the one, some of the Away bags have the battery included. We, we bought the ones without the battery because we just heard so many issues with overzealous airline employees trying to, you know, people having issues with that. But yeah, we travel with two carry-on sized bags, but we do wind up checking them most of the time, just because we have, well, the main reason is I'm a hot sauce aficionado and I travel with my own hot sauce. <laughs> so most of the time, those bottles are too large to bring on the plane. 
And knock on wood, we haven't had any major issues with with checking bags and just due to the nature of how sort of relaxed or slower our travel schedule is. If we have to wait 20, 30 minutes at the baggage claim occasionally, it's not a big deal. We're not you know, taking a weekend trip where we want to get right into the city and hit the ground running. We've kind of relaxed our pace a little bit. So we've just found it's easier to check bags. And also we've been recently flying a lot of low-cost carriers, you know, Ryanair, EasyJet in Asia, Air Asia, or flying Jetstar this week. So there's it seems like all of the the overhead bin sizes are different with those airlines. So it's I found it's easier just to go ahead and check them and and know that that everything fits. But then besides that, we both travel with just two standard laptop sized backpacks. Wow. So you're traveling you know, around the world essentially with what I think my wife and I would typically only have for, I mean, we could do a two, three week trip in, in the equivalent of what, what you guys are doing. I don't know that I'd be doing it for that, that much longer a trip, but I imagine you're finding laundry uh, facilities and stuff where you, where you travel. We are. Yeah. We've gotten really comfortable with just finding, finding laundromats wherever we go. It's always pretty easy to go and do laundry and Honestly, it's simplified our our lives so much. I feel like we used to spend so much time doing laundry when we were just living in one spot. And, you know, now it's maybe every week or two, we'll spend an hour at the laundromat and we're ready to set off again. So, Brennan, we could spend an entire episode talking through just preparations and packing and, you know, that sort of thing for long-term travel. But I definitely want to get to the actual travel. I just want to close this segment out, though. You're traveling long-term here, around the world, varying uh, countries of healthcare and everything else. Do you have like a travel insurance or travel healthcare sort of option? And how do you come about finding it? Yeah, we did some research and really talked to a lot of people in the community and asked what other people use. And we, we settled on, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, Allianz Travel Insurance Policy, just a one-year worldwide travel policy with them. And it was pretty expensive. It covered everything that we that it seemed like we needed, full COVID coverage, trip cancellation, emergency services, anything like that. The one thing it doesn't replace is primary health insurance in the US. We still have primary care health insurance in the United States, but in this travel policy covers us for pretty much anything. And thankfully, we have not had to use it at all, but it covers us outside of the country. Yeah. You know, I, I think I have the same plan or I actually haven't renewed it, but you know, actually, unfortunately had the, the chance to use it. And I was actually uh, robbed in Barcelona and, and my uh, claims experience with them was actually pretty good. So I, you know, they ended up only paying, I think I forget, like maybe a thousand dollars, but that was quite a bit more than what my original fee was for them. And they paid it pretty quick. So I was overall pretty happy with their claims experience. That's great to hear. Everybody that I talk to, everybody loves Allianz. So, I mean, I think that's just one of those consistent things that we've, uh, that at least in the, in the community, we've, we've all kind of arrived at. And everybody that I've talked to that has had to do a claim, just like PK said, has been very positive in their experience. So you've been traveling since July. I think you said that you'd provided some notes, said you've been to 24 countries, three continents, and 87,000 plus miles. Let's pivot to the cruising first, because I just thought that was interesting. 
you know, here you are, you're planning long-term travel. And there were a couple of deals that we've talked about on the pod that you were able to take advantage of. And not to say that we talked on the pod like to allow people to book them, but we talked about them kind of, you know, a little bit post-mortem. And you were finding them in real time. Yeah, you know, all of these cruise deals really came around at the perfect time, sort of as we were starting to plan our travel for the first few months, the carnival cruise match came up. And thankfully, I had my Wyndham status matched to Caesar's status matched to MGM status. I don't remember how all that went, but I already had the statuses in place. And I was able to match both my wife and I with the carnival offer. And we pretty quickly got a balcony offer for a cruise, a, I believe it was a 10 or 11 night cruise, leaving from Dover, England up through the Norwegian fjords. Uh, so lots of different little towns in Norway there and just beautiful glaciers and fjords. So the timing of it just worked out perfectly. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, you know, I I've not had the opportunity to do the Norwegian fjords cruise, but uh, it it sounds great. It's, it looks like you also did a a Mediterranean cruise. How long was that cruise? That was around ten or eleven nights as well, and that one was that was amazing as well. So the the Norwegian fjords cruise was actually my first cruise ever. So I had no previous cruising experience, and it was just an amazing amazing time. Really enjoyed that. And then I was going to say, you picked a really good one for your first cruise. I mean, I would say that's probably one of the more <laughs> ambitious first cruises I've ever heard of. <laughs> you set the bar high. Yeah. And, you know, we were a little nervous going in because, I mean, my wife had been on one cruise previously, but it was about 10 or 15 years ago and a smaller boat in sort of a remote area, not a typical four-night Caribbean cruise, but it just, it worked out perfectly. The The staff on the Carnival Pride was was amazing. The food was, I'd kind of heard mixed things about the food, but it wound up being really, really good. A, a weird little aspect of the cruise, uh, the Norwegian cruise was, you know, you'd spend all day hiking a glacier or, you know, through these picturesque little Norwegian fishing villages. And then, you know, you look up and there's this gigantic, boat sitting right out there that just dwarfs the town and you get on the boat after you're done experiencing norwegian nature and culture and all this stuff and you know you can eat at guy fieri's burger joint for lunch it's uh (laughs) it's just kind of a weird juxtaposition there yeah you're going from uh, norwegian town to flavor town all all in one day (laughs) exactly it's kind of interesting because you know i think if i'm reading this correctly i think you happen to take an itinerary that trevor took and then you also happened to cruise on Royal Caribbean on Symphony of the Seas and happened to take an itinerary that I took. So I think somehow between the two of us, I think we have like, we've bookended uh, parts of your cruising adventure so far. Wow, that's very cool. So as far as how I, we only ever planned to take the one cruise, the Norwegian Fjords cruise, but it just so happened that I gambled a bit on that Norway cruise and it was a couple of months later, and we were sort of deciding what our next leg of the trip was going to be. We had just finished up some time in Florence, Italy, and we were heading to Rome, and uh, we had a had a flight out of Rome, actually back to New York. We were going to spend some time in the U.S., and I got an offer from Carnival 
that just so happened to perfectly line up with the day that we were going to going to leave Rome. And we both decided that we would rather uh, spend some more time in the Mediterranean instead of going back to the U.S. and booked the Mediterranean cruise. So just uh, all of the cruises so far have been kind of serendipitous as far as the as far as the timing. That was just a great experience on that cruise as well. One note, if anyone's, I mean, like I said, these were my two first cruises ever. So this may just may not be a uh, tip at all. But it seemed that one night, every sailing in the in the steakhouse on the Carnival Pride, they had a promo for 50% off any bottle of wine on the menu. And I checked with them just to make sure. And they had uh, Dom Perignon on the menu. And we'd actually never, never tried Dom before and uh, figured this might be a good chance. So we were able to get a bottle of Dom for $112, which I thought was a, a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think this sounds pretty reasonable for, especially for a, you know, specialty restaurant on a, on a cruise line. There's usually at least some kind of markup on, especially on an expensive bottle like Dom. I feel like 112 is almost close to like what you'd get at Total Wine or something. I don't often look at buying Dom Perignon, contrary to to my my champagne tastes, but I think that's actually probably pretty close to, especially for a, a 2010 vintage. I think I just saw a post yesterday that Emirates, for example, is serving. I think it's 2012 now. So, Brendan, just to close up the kind of cruise experience, you used yourcomp.com. Could you talk just just a moment about your experience? You know, how hard it was it? You know, were there any pitfalls, anything you kind of learned from it? And I love the timing of the ship's horn in the background as we talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are comped has been overall a great experience. It's a little unintuitive. For anyone who doesn't know, it's a site where you can upload offers that you have from either cruise line casinos or land-based casinos. I think they prefer cruise line casinos. They basically shop those offers to other cruise lines and try to get you comped rooms on those cruises so that you can establish play with those other cruise lines and become a uh, regular sailor on on those other lines. So what I did was uploaded a, I believe just a screenshot is what I sent them of one of the Carnival free cruise offers that was in my account. And within about a week, I would say, I received a message from a host on your comp and she walked me through the whole process of, I mean, there were literally hundreds of cruises available to to pick from. And I wound up settling on a Royal Caribbean cruise over New Year's Eve, which happened to be um, pretty expensive cash-wise. Not something that we would have, not something we would have booked with cash, but thankfully we were able to get it for nearly free, just paid the taxes and fees and of course gratuities and, and things like that. Yeah, a it was a seven-night cruise on Symphony of the Seas, so one of their one of their larger ships. And it was a uh, because of the dates, they were only able to get us an interior room, which initially made me a little nervous. I wasn't quite sure because, like I said, they, I've only been on two cruises prior to this, and the interior room sort of uh, wasn't sure if it it would feel claustrophobic. But thankfully, it didn't it didn't at all. We actually. Liked it more than the balcony room, just because it's completely dark in there. And they actually have a, um, it's great to sleep. They actually have a virtual, they call it a virtual ocean view, which is a big flat panel TV 
set vertically on the wall where a window would be. And it's a live view of the view from the front of the boat. So it's very cool. And it really, it really is pretty convincing. It looks like an ocean view. Yeah, I've seen those cabins before, like my travel part, uh, my travel friends, they happen to have a virtual uh, balcony in one of the cruises I did earlier this year or earlier in uh, 2022. I also really like, especially on those, you know, Oasis class ships on, on Royal Caribbean, the interior promenade or Central Park view rooms. They're also oftentimes considered interior for the purposes of like those casino comp offers. But, you know, you can usually get either upgraded to them or, you know, pay a very small difference in price. And those are also really nice because you get like a window seat. The, the cabin is just ever so slightly bigger. And, you know, you don't, you, again, you're looking at the inside of the ship, but, you know, on these Oasis class ships, you know, the, the inside of the ship is in this case, like Central Park, which is kind of open to the sky. You actually do get some sunlight and some other things or the promenade, you know, which is that really long, you know, almost shopping mall kind of area in the middle of the ship. Oh yeah. That's a great tip. I'd be interesting, you know, so it's interesting. You've been able to cruise, you know, Carnival and, you know, Royal Caribbean, I was just curious, you know, like, what, what are your thoughts? Like, what, what do you see as the big differences between the two? Yeah, you know, I would say Royal Caribbean, hands down, the entertainment was far and away better. Just the, the quality of the shows on Symphony of the Seas, it was outstanding. I'm not usually really into, into shows like that. There's a, an aqua theater show with um, acrobatics and diving and, and that sort of thing. Wouldn't normally be something I'm I'm interested in, but I was mesmerized. It was amazing. Uh, from what I understand, they they hire Olympic athletes to do a lot of this stuff, the ice shows and the and the diving acrobatics shows. So just top tier, top tier talent. Yeah, all of the entertainment was incredible on Royal Caribbean. Not as much on Carnival. We watched about half of one of the stage shows on Carnival and decided we'd we'd had enough. It was it was just a little cheesy. However, the music and games and stuff on Carnival were, were really fun. They do a great job with you know, making sure everybody's having a great time and all of that stuff. Food, I was actually surprised that I enjoyed the food a little more on Carnival. Both of them had great food. We weren't disappointed with the, the choices on either. But we did do the steakhouse on Carnival and on Royal Caribbean for one night and Really, really enjoyed the the steakhouse on Carnival. The one on Royal was a little more expensive, and maybe we just had a uh, an off night, but didn't quite enjoy it as much. Yeah. Oh well, you know, I mean, and and that's interesting because you know I I'm not surprised a little bit. I mean, I I also kind of excited. One of these days, I will actually uh, go on a Carnival cruise, and it definitely seems like they have a very they have a leg up when it comes to things like the casual food, like uh, like you mentioned, like the guys' burger and. And the shack's chicken and and some of these other things, which you know for some reason I think is a little bit lacking on, on Royal Caribbean. But yeah, I would agree with you. It seems like Royal Caribbean has definitely invested in in a lot of their entertainment, and that seems to be one of the ways that they're really pushing and marketing their difference. You know, and saying, look, come to our ships because we have, you know, really interesting shows that you know will will kind of entertain you, probably better than than a lot of the other cruise lines. Yeah, definitely on Carnival, at least on the sailings that we went on, it was much more about the scenery about the destinations rather than the actual entertainment on the boat. Whereas on Symphony of the Seas and the Caribbean, I would say the boat was much more of the of the focus. I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what the difference is between the two styles of cruising right there. Especially on these kind of larger Oasis class ships, you know, the destination is the ship. 
you know, almost more than the ports. Right. Oh, one other difference that I found between the two, as far as as far as the casino, because I booked both of these, the Carnival sailings and the Royal Caribbean sailing through casino offers, uh, part of the offer includes free drinks in the casino, which is a nice little perk. However, on the Carnival ships, an important distinction between the two is on the Carnival Pride, you had to be actively playing in the casino. So you had to be at a slot machine and order from a waiter or, you know, at a table and place a drink order. So you had to be actively playing to get those free drinks. I'd offer that's a your miles may vary because we had, like Tom said, I had uh, done that same cruise and I had no problem. Actually, friends of ours that that were on the offer had no problem grabbing a glass of wine to bring with them to dinner. So definitely a your miles may vary thing. So let's transition a little bit closer to shore because you went to a bunch of really interesting places that I'd love to at least cover a, a couple of them. So you've been to a place that I have not been. Well, you've been to a lot of places I haven't been, but Tom has been, and that is the Maldives. And I just have to ask, because everybody kind of speaks to speaks about the Maldives as that kind of aspirational you know, destination. What were your thoughts? You know, it is definitely a maybe the most polarizing topic in, in the miles and points world. Everybody either <laughs> either loves it or hates it or thinks it's overrated. I am in the camp of it is absolutely not overrated. It was just by far the most spectacular place that that we've been so far. It's what we compare every other beach and snorkeling tropical destination to. Yeah, we just we loved every bit of it. Yeah, you know, I would say, you know, of those people that say it's overrated, how many of them have actually been there? <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, you, you find a lot of people who who say that, but, you know, a lot of those people are, you know, kind of like, well, the, you know, they haven't been there. You know, they haven't actually, you know, made the trek out and given an opinion based on having actually experienced the place. Because I have been several times to the Maldives and, and to the, I have to agree with you, it really is kind of the benchmark tropical destination. You know, the snorkeling, the beach, it is hard to compare the quality of those items to other places in the world. And, and it's hard to find other places in the world that can beat uh, what you get in, in a Maldives vacation, basically. I agree 100%. Yeah. And Brennan, if you could just, because, you know, we see the notes you shared, but just spend, you know, 30 seconds. Where do you stay? How was the experience getting to and from? And any highlights that you want to note about your time in the Maldives? Sure. Yeah, we similar to jumping on that Mediterranean cruise, it was sort of a last minute decision to head to the Maldives. We were just finishing up one leg of the trip and we had actually planned to head to Eastern Europe. This was in the fall. We had planned to head to Eastern Europe and check out heard that you could see some of the leaves changing in, in Transylvania and check out those parts of Romania and and all of that. And we decided we were not ready for for summer to end. And I last minute found this award space at the Conrad Maldives. Um, so we were able to book that on points, five nights with the fifth night free, and actually found Q Suites space as well to get down there from Rome, connecting in Madrid, and then over to Doha and Doha to Male in, in Q Suites. Uh, so it was, it was a great way to get to get over there and Really, just the whole experience from the time that we touched down in the Maldives, there was a representative from the Conrad waiting for us, had our name on a sign, and you know whisked us away to the check-in for the seaplane, handled everything for us, escorted us to 
a lounge that the Conrad has there at the international airport in the Maldives gave us lunch and drinks and anything we wanted, completed the check-in right there in the lounge before we even got to the hotel. We got to the resort and for the first couple of days, the weather was pretty bad. There was about an hour to every day where, where the rain let up and we could we could get out and snorkel and the snorkeling was just amazing. You can snorkel right off the beach and it's, it is just incredible. But what we really wanted to do while we were in the Maldives was see if we could swim with whale sharks. So as, as soon as we got there, we booked the, the whale shark excursion that they run through the hotel. That was our main objective. We really wanted to, to swim with whale sharks. It's been a bucket list item for both my wife and I for, for years. And every morning we would wake up and I would check my phone because you um, have a concierge assigned to you when you check in and you can WhatsApp message them anytime. I, I messaged you know, 24 hours a day and I would get a, a response back right away. So every morning we'd wake up early and the whale shark excursion would be canceled. You know, next morning we'd wake up and it was canceled. Next morning we'd wake up and it's canceled. Finally, on the fourth day, it was finally we were clear to to go on the excursion and we made it out there and it was just incredible. We we wound up seeing two whale sharks, some sea turtles. We swam for about 45 minutes straight, just following, you know, within feet, sometimes inches of this this gigantic, just majestic whale shark. That was definitely, definitely a highlight of the stay and of this trip so far. But overall at the hotel at the Conrad Maldives, the service is just impeccable. I don't know if there's anywhere else that I've experienced such amazing, amazing service. You know, everything is I mean, literally there's between anywhere you go on the two islands, everything is sand and it is all just perfectly raked twenty four hours a day. You know, you'll walk you'll walk past and, and a guy'll jump out of the bushes and rake behind you. It's that level of incredible, incredible service. Um, the food, the drinks, everything was great. As far as benefits with diamond status, the breakfast is, is of course, all included. Gigantic breakfast buffet with lots of cook-to-order stations with pancakes and omelets, a whole Asian section, just a, a, an amazing giant buffet. And then in the afternoons, they have a happy hour, I believe just for diamond guests. They have a happy hour with pretty much unlimited drinks for about an hour, maybe two hours. They have a cocktail of the day and then and then beer and wine and little appetizers or d'oeuvres as well. So pretty good value as far as that, uh, considering everything else is is very expensive. I think we ordered a, a room service club sandwich and it came out to $38. So definitely not a budget food destination. Yeah. You know, the thing I always love to talk about, you know, with Maldives is, you know, five-star famine. So that's like my term for whenever I go to the Maldives is, is uh, you're always on these like all in, you're all these uh, you know enclosed you know island captive resorts and you know you've got the you know the forty dollar hamburgers and the thirty eight dollar club sandwiches you know so you're you're constantly trying to think uh yeah maybe I will only have uh, one meal uh, today other than the the included breakfast <laughs> <laughs> so that, that and combined with snorkeling I think I lost a few pounds there so yeah it all it all works maybe, out. It kind of balances out all the cruising. But, you know, having been there a couple of times, you know, my, uh, you know, advice to anybody going to the Maldives is, you know, think of some very dense snacks for you to pack in your carry-on and uh, make sure to include that as part of your planning for your Maldives. 
But I think we probably devoted quite a bit of time to the Maldives, which although it probably does deserve quite a bit of time, we probably need to move on to another, one of your other destinations in this epic journey. So, uh, Brendan, I think the other interesting experience you've had on this epic trip around the world is being able to be part of an archaeology dig in Wales. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. An archaeological dig was something I've been wanting to do for years. It's just kind of a bucket list item. I've always been sort of interested in the world of archaeology, you know, maybe just watching Indiana Jones movies growing up, but it just sounded like such a cool thing to be a part of. And I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how to, how to go about that, but I did some research and found a organization called Dig Ventures. They're primarily in the UK that crowdfund archaeological digs and they pretty much take you from square one from not knowing anything about the archaeological process through joining the dig and and being part of it so i found a one of their digs that sort of lined up with our travel dates in saint david's wales Uh, so saint david's is on the far uh, west coast of wales beautiful beautiful area if you're into hiking, it's an amazing, amazing place. A lot of people do walks up and down the Pembrokeshire coast there. Just a beautiful, beautiful area. What's the largest uh, city over there? Like, Where did you end up traveling to to get to that part of Wales? So I flew into Heathrow, and then I believe you could also fly into Cardiff. It's the closest international airport. But I flew into Heathrow and then took the train over to actually for a few days in a different part of Wales, the Wye River Valley. Uh, just some beautiful, beautiful scenery. I mean, it looks just like Lord of the Rings, you know, just uh, beautiful valleys and mountains and forests. Did some hiking in that area. Stayed at a very interesting points property, the Marriott St. Pierre. Very, very cool historical property. It's a 14th century manor house. So it's uh, very quaint. There's also just beautiful, beautiful scenery. There's actually an old chapel and a cemetery on the site um, because it used to be an English manor. And it's badged as a Marriott? It's like a full-on regular Marriott? You know, I believe after after I checked, I believe it's a Delta now, the Delta brand. Oh, okay. Uh, Got it. It was a Marriott when I was there. And yeah, just a great hotel. And from there, I was able to do, there's lots of amazing hiking over the the course of a couple of days. But from there, I continued on, on the train to a small town called Haverford West. And that's as far as the train goes in in Wales. And then from there, you can either... I took a taxi, but you can also take the public bus to St. David's, uh, which was a beautiful little little village, just picturesque. Just think of a quintessential Welsh village. You know, they have several pubs there that just look, you know, straight out of Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or something. It, it just all looks like it's it's been there for thousands of years because because it has. So yeah, beautiful little town, uh, St. David's. And that was where the dig was located. About a mile outside of town was the dig site. And I would show up every morning at 7am and uh, we'd go over the the plan for the dig uh, for the day. I was a, with a group of a really varied group of people. About half of the participants were students from Cardiff University earning credits on the dig site. And the other half were participants like me who crowdfunded the dig and got a chance to learn and, and participate in it. So over the course of, of a week, 
we uncovered, you know, part of this pre-Roman hill fort site. So before the Romans came to Britain, from what I understand, historians don't know a whole lot about who was there or what sort of settlements they built. And this is, uh, there's a series of, of hill forts along the coast of Wales and archaeologists are trying to, trying to uncover as, as much as they can. So only being there for a week, it's, you don't get to, to uncover a whole lot because archaeology is a pretty slow process. But it really was a great experience to learn about not only the process of archaeology, but actually get to find a few things. I found some charcoal fragments and a few bone fragments as well. Someone else there found a uh, piece of pottery, which was, was pretty cool to see. You know, what did you have to kind of budget for the crowdfunding side of this? Like, what would one have to, you know, if they wanted to replicate this experience, like, what do you think would be a good rule of thumb for how much this might cost? You know, I believe it was about $1,000 US for the week. That just includes the dig. So I booked an Airbnb separately from that. And from what I understand, I've done some research since then, talked to other people that you know, if you're willing to put in the work and, and apply and research other opportunities, it sounds like there are a lot of free opportunities through colleges and universities. But this was a really great, you know, easily approachable beginner way to get into archaeology for me. A lot of times if you are applying through a university, they, wanna, uh, they want you to have some sort of experience. So yeah, this was a great experience. Great way to break into it, I guess. Yeah. Yep. You know, it sounds like you had so many interesting experiences, you know, as in you're not quite done yet. I mean, you're you're in Fiji now, but, you know, I was just curious, you know, what are some of the surprises you've learned, you know, having kind of traveled this much on, you know, kind of nonstop, you know, what are some things that are kind of surprises to you that you maybe had a different con- preconception of that turned out to be completely wrong? now that you've done this for a couple of months? Yeah, I would say the most surprising thing has been just how easy it's been to transition into nomadic life like this. I thought it would be a bit of a, some growing pains, a bit of a learning curve, you know, fitting everything into two suitcases and two backpacks and changing locations every few days. I think the longest we've been in one spot was on those cruises for 10 nights. Otherwise, we've been moving around pretty quickly frequently. I've just been surprised with how easy it's been to pare things down and just really get to the essentials as far as what we're what we're taking with us and how quickly you assimilate into a culture, into a new situation, you know. I remember the first time we went to Europe several years ago, just figuring out the the train. We ended up at some, you know, random train stop at two AM in in Germany and, you know, had nowhere to go because we bought the wrong ticket and all the trains were we're gone. But, you know, just how easy it's been when you're doing something every day, you know, just how quickly you get used to it. It becomes normal life in a way. Great. You know, the other thing I think you mentioned earlier was, you know, probably adapting the style of travel. I mean, it definitely sounds like you slowed down a little bit and, you know, you and your wife are probably changing maybe the speed of, of travel a little bit, given that, you know, you do have the time to settle into an area and really absorb it and kind of take it in. You know, and, and that probably also helps a little bit because, you know, I could see, you know, the really high paced travel where you only got, you know, one week to do everything versus, you know, you've got the time to kind of really, you know, be leisurely and, and kind of enjoy the environment. That's true. That's, I would say that's the biggest change that we've made over the last few months is, you know, when we started the trip, we, 
our whole frame of reference was the week trip to Europe or the, you know, weekend trip to Disney World or, you know, kind of the high, the fast paced uh, travel. It was very difficult to get out of that. We knew we had, you know, unlimited time, but it was just hard to get out of that mindset. And that's one thing that we're purposing to do in 2023 is, is slow down a bit. One of the things on the agenda in a few weeks, we're for the first time doing a, a house sit. My wife stumbled across a site where people will post their houses and oftentimes they have animals that need cared for and they allow you to come and stay in their house for, for free and take care of their place and watch their animals. So we're excited to to do that for about two weeks in a, a small town in Australia uh, and just kind of slow down a little bit and try to take our time a little more in this coming year. Yeah, I think taking your time is really good advice. And I, I think it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people should, should take to heart. And, you know, I think a lot of times we're kind of obsessed with, you know, doing everything. And, you know, sometimes it, it slowing down is, is what you need to do to really enjoy and have a real vacation. So, well, I can tell you it's been a real pleasure to hear about your travels. I think you've got quite a few more coming up and, you know, we're excited to have our first guest on on Travel Stories. So before we uh, head out, Brendan, where can people find you? Yeah, feel free to message me on the Myelonomics Slack. I'm Brennan on the Myelonomics Slack. And uh, my wife's also been writing a blog. The website is bamderson.com. So our names are Brennan and Megan Anderson. So B-A-M-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. She's been chronicling our journey on there. So feel free to check that out as well. Wonderful. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening. Join us next time on Travel Stories. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. <laughs>